It's like a moment from a horror movie. You have been hanging out in the wrong clubs, Mr. Wayne. I've seen this movie. Smoke and mirrors, guys. Welcome to the movie factory. Join the club. We've got jackets. And you stole it from a movie. We want you in our club, kid. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Burke Reviews Movie Club. I'm Jonathan Burke. And with me, as always, Corey Starr. Hello, hello. A slightly under-the-weather Corey Starr, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I was hoping I'd feel much better today, but so far, (laughs) I'm going to take a nap. (laughs) We are, uh, this is the Movie Club Podcast, where Corey and I started this a few years ago to try to uh, reduce the number of films that we've wanted to see but haven't watched for whatever reason. Uh, We both have bad habits of re-watching movies that we love, and this podcast was made so that we would force ourselves to watch at least one new movie every single week, Um, and that is the premise of the show, except... We decided to make each month a theme, and this month's theme is Originals, and this is the last of the theme, this episode, where we'll be watching uh, True Grit from 1969, um, which is a original that we've seen the remake of. We actually did an episode earlier this year on True Grit from the Coen Brothers from 2010. Um, it's the only one this month that we actually have both seen the, uh, the remake, and we've done an episode on, so it's kind of an interesting end to this month's theme and at the end of this episode we'll announce next month's theme as well as uh, the movies that we're going to be watching next month um and by month i should note that this is the last episode for august even though we are technically releasing this on september 1st and we're also oddly recording it on september 1st something we usually don't do um but as i noted Corey's sick and i am awaiting a potential hurricane so who knows you know maybe it won't hit us it looks like it's not gonna but i'm very stressed out nonetheless you can't you just can't account for what they're gonna do no because... and that's a lot of people are like oh it's gone i'm like stop saying things mm. like, let's just hold our breath and hope that you're right but at the same time i don't want to put that out there so um dorian uh please keep your portrait in the attic and um we're gonna get into uh what we've been watching and then we'll get into our full review of true grit from 1969 um but Let's start with that. Um, Corey, you want to go first or second for what we've been watching? Second. All right. I'm trying to think of when we recorded last because I don't remember. I'm, I don't think I've seen that many movies this week. Uh, there was a lot going on at work, and that kind of slowed me down a bit. Uh, 23rd was when we recorded last. So, yeah, I've only seen a few movies, um, and one was real bad. Uh, so I watched Castle in the Sky. Um, it's a Hao Miyazaki uh, Studio Ghibli film um, I didn't love it as much as I had hoped um, it's the first one of the films that didn't really pull me in a lot of the, the Hao uh, Miyazaki films I get sucked into and I'm just lost in the world that he's created and for some reason Castle in the Sky just didn't do it for me it may have been when I watched it but um, so far that's my least favorite uh, and, and I'm not even saying it's bad it just didn't pull me in so i wasn't really interested in it whereas like spirited away um uh castle cagliostro um nausicaa in the valley of the wind and uh my neighbor totoro all pulled me in immediately and i was i'm very big on all of those films uh then Corey, i had a screener for this film called the fanatic oh god i didn't know you guys had screeners for that because i saw sean talking about it too yeah so uh, it's directed by Fred Durst from Limp Biscuit, which is why I specifically agreed to watch it. 
Um, I don't brag about this very often, but I was a big <laughs> Limp Biscuit fan. Uh, he, in fact, um, I attribute Limp Biscuit being the reason I got into the genre uh, that I called metal. And granted, it was new metal or new rock. Um, but I was very into hip hop when I was in middle school. Um, I thought all metal bands that like screamed in their music were inherently evil. And Limp Biscuit uh, was introduced to me by a friend who was trying to get me into rock music more. And um, he was also the guy who was teaching me to play guitar. And um, there's a song on the $3 bill album where he says, And God, I love you. And it was like shattered a stereotype for me. I was like, oh my God, they're not necessarily evil. And uh, pretty much I dove into metal for like the next 15, 20 years. I was like, I was very snobbish about it. Like anything that wasn't in the genre that I liked was bad. And um, I, I supported Limp Bizkit even in their, their not-so-good albums and their questionable years, and even though Durst multiple times kind of proved to be a bit of a jerk, um, I still had a fandom for them. Uh, so I have not seen any of his other films. He's directed two other movies, uh, one with Jesse Eisenberg that I always forget the name of, and then uh, the Ice Cube film, Long Shots, uh, which was like a football, like kind of like a Ladybugs-type story. Um, I think his daughter was like a... Fo- like a little league football player or something like that i never saw it but i remember seeing the trailers for it i had no idea durst had directed that but this new movie um it's like it's listed as a horror film uh it stars john travolta which should be a warning sign it also stars uh devin sawa who i had not seen in anything in a long time uh you know little giants is probably my favorite performance of his so going back quite a ways um this movie is is bad for a lot of reasons um it's it actually is competent in its story like i feel like it it knows what it's doing it just it doesn't seem to get that what it's doing isn't good and if you can't if you can avoid it which is pretty easy from what i'm seeing i actually uh, sean posted a hollywood reporter article where i think it's averaging one ticket per per screening at the few theaters that it's in Um, oh it's doing real bad and it's a it's definitely a sign that travolta is maybe in that realm of retirement it's maybe it's just time you quit um between Gotti and this film i think it's done um i then i watched true grit and then uh i didn't watch anything because again i was i had some busy stuff going on this week but i watched um i've been watching a lot of psych actually come to bring i've i've caught up on several episodes of psych i've been uh missing out i just finished season six i believe it was and it ended on a major cliffhanger so i immediately had to watch the next episode because i was not going to bed uh with that on my consciousness so um i won't say what happened but i was like nope gotta watch another one even though it's really late because that's not cool show um but then i did watch a movie i've been meaning to watch uh since i saw isn't it romantic earlier this year uh same director todd strauss schulson um it's called the final girls have you heard of this Corey? Mm-hmm. this movie is so up my alley because it is essentially a uh, satire of the slasher genre which I am a big fan of a lot of slasher films. Like, not all, but, a, like, a lot of the big staples, Halloween, Friday the 13th, big, big fan of those. And um, I'd heard this one was really good, and it start, it has some big names in it, uh, bigger names now than when this movie came out in 2015. But um, Tysa Formiga, who is uh, connected to Vera, I don't know if Sisters or whatever, but um, Ma- uh, Malin Ackerman, who's in, like, Watchmen and... Uh, a bunch of other stuff that's not coming to mind. Aaliyah Shawkat's in this movie, which I did not know. Oh, yeah, she's a big draw for me. Uh, Thomas Middleditch, who I know from Silicon Valley. Adam Devine, who I really became a fan of in Pitch Perfect one and two, 
but I also really like him in Isn't It Romantic this year. Um, and that's the bigger names, I think, that are in it. A couple of other familiar faces you might recognize from some stuff, but um, I, I finally watched this. I, I bought it a while back. It went on sale for like five bucks, and I had bought it then and been meaning to get to it. And I, it's a nice short watch. It's like 90 minutes, and it, yes. it moves pretty quick, uh, If you, especially if you're familiar with the slasher genres. It does some cool stuff. Uh, it's it's funny. Um, there's some good effects though. Some interesting camera work. Uh, and so, again, it, it does some really cool like play on the genre tropes. Um, and much like isn't it romantic? Characters are aware that they are in a movie. Um, some of the characters are at least. I don't want to spoil like where it goes, but I feel like that's an important part of the premise. Is it? It, it there is a lot of meta jokes. Um, which is very, again, similar to Isn't It Romantic. Uh, I would say this one is much better executed. I enjoy Isn't It Romantic, but um, I think this one overall, it hits the tropes a little harder. And uh, it, it doesn't seem to be as, I don't know, I felt like Isn't It Romantic was very like pro-rom-com. I, I've read other reviews where they said that it was it didn't feel like he, it was more mocking the genre than it was embracing it. Uh, this one definitely is embracing the genre. It's not. It, it's aware that there's some silly things in that uh, that genre, but at the same time, there's an affection that is very clear that comes off the film. So, uh, especially for horror fans like you, Corey, I highly recommend checking out the Final Girls. I'm gonna watch that. I think it might be on Hulu too. It might be, and it. it I would. I would not be surprised if it was on Shutter though. Word. It's somewhere streaming because I recently saw it while I was looking through. Um, you know what they have and mm-hmm. it's definitely somewhere I have mostly are you done I'm sorry oh I am done yes ma'am okay um, so I was totally kidding when I told you I wouldn't be able to record Friday because I was going to be binging <laughs> the Dark Crystal but I feel bad about it anyway I feel like I jinxed us um, <laughs> <laughs> but I watched the first episode of the Dark Crystal Age of Resistance um I really enjoyed it. I love the movie. I'm reading a lot of, um, like, you know, a lot of the, like, music sites that I follow or I read sometimes. They, I'm seeing mostly negative stuff about it, and I just wonder if they were fans to begin with, you know? Okay. Because then I feel like your, your whatever isn't even valid. But um, I watched Tales of Halloween movie yesterday. I love anthologies. I know it's a month away, but October is my favorite month, and I'm already gearing up for Halloween, and I liked it a lot. I know we're watching um, watching one that I'm hoping will be better on my second viewing, but um, for October, I think. Uh. I did go to the theater and see uh, Peanut Butter Falcon on oh. Tuesday. I want to go so bad. It was so good. I... So I know it's like an indie film, and I was expecting a small crowd. We went on Tuesday, which we're never going on Tuesdays again, because that's when our theater does like five dollars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Movie a tickets. lot of Tuesdays seem to be the day for like specials. Yeah, and it's like I don't have to do that, but it just worked for our schedule. But our theater was packed, and it was already in one of the small screening rooms. So, mm. ooh, but it was really good, and the whole crowd had a good time. Um, I watched A Simple Favor, Ooh. which was good, but I feel like they could have trimmed like 30 minutes off of it. I love um, that movie. I, I'm not going to spoil it, but I 
wasn't quite expecting for it to go where it went. It, it's, um, it takes a satirical t- uh, twist at the end. Yes. Um, and then I've been watching a lot of TV, but I binged Dairy Girls on Netflix, season one uh. and two on Sunday, and it is hilarious, and I don't know what took me so long to watch it. That's the Irish um, schoolgirls, right? Yes, it's I've hilarious. I've seen some of it, yeah, it is very funny. The episodes I've watched, I've, I've enjoyed. And then I started re-watching Pin 15 on Hulu. I renewed my Hulu. Ah, you man, you should have waited till Disney Plus comes out. Oh, or, I how mean, much you, is that? I get, Disney Plus, uh, with Hulu Plus, not Hulu Plus, I'm sorry, it's just Hulu, and ESPN Plus, which I know you want your soccer games, Corey. Um, Football. It's 13, uh, 13 bucks a month. Oh, see, I'm pay- paying 6 bucks a month for True. Hulu. But d- remember, Disney Plus is going to have all the Disney movies, all the Marvel movies, which I know you love, all the Lucasfilms movies, and m- the, the th- Pixar movies, but... Also, what you must remember is they own Fox now. So most of the Fox movies and TV shows, including all of The Simpsons, are going to be on Disney+. Plus. Um, and again, I am not paid to say that, but Disney, I feel like you I advocate for you a lot. So maybe hook us up with a sponsorship, official Disney podcast. Um, <laughs> but, you know, uh, it, it's like, because I, I have Hulu right now still at the dollar a month because of the Black Friday special they did last year. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but, um, I really like Hulu. I am, there's some good Netflix originals, but there's also a lot of junk on Netflix and they're losing I all know. of it. So I'm, I'm trying to convince my family to let me cancel Netflix and do the Disney plus thing. And we'll still have Hulu. Um, because it's the same, it's a dollar cheaper than Netflix. I know. Net, well, net, yeah. Netflix, I'm paying twelve ninety nine a month. Yeah. So think you're paying six for Hulu. Instead, you could pay 13 get all the Disney stuff I just mentioned, including all the Disney Princess movies at some point. Um, I don't know if they're all going to be there at launch, but they will be there. Plus, you're getting original content. So the new Star Wars TV series, The Mandalorian, is going to be on there that Jon Favreau is the showrunner for. Um, and I know he's directing some of the episodes. I don't know if he's directing the entire series or not. Um, and then there's going to be, a, again, I know you're not really that into the Marvel Universe, but there's a lot of Marvel original series, some of which will be from, like, characters from the movies getting their own shows. Some will be before things, and some will be after things, like, timeline-wise. But they're also doing a bunch of original stuff that they haven't touched characters for, including She-Hulk, which is going to be very interesting because my wife, I've called She-Hulk for years, so now that there might be a TV series, I'm excited. Um, but... Yeah, just not to get into the streaming thing, but there, there it is. You, you've watched quite a bit, uh, I guess, because being sick, huh? Yeah, I've, I've legit been on my couch for two days. That makes it easy. Um, yeah. <laughs> and also, like, I've been watching another show. It's like I don't want to watch a lot of movies because I'm hoping that I'll, like, conk out and take a nap, you know? Mm-hmm. And I won't feel bad about it if I miss, like, an episode or two of TV, you know? True. Yeah, yeah. Uh, depends on the show. There are some shows where I really want to like watch everything, and then there's like, like I love Psych, but Psych is mainly a comedy, even though it's an hour long drama format. It is definitely more of like a satire of like procedural shows. Um, so I don't mind throwing it on in the background, and if like if I miss something, it's okay. Uh, although a lot of times I do end up getting sucked into episodes because I find them very very funny. But I think that is it for what we've been watching. Mm-hmm. Let's get into the stats on the film we'll be reviewing this week, True Grit, from 1969. It's uh, another Western. We've watched a lot of Westerns this year. We've really uh, branched out on our list. Um, 
the film stars uh, most notably John Wayne, um, Kim Darby, Glenn Campbell, Jeremy Slate, uh, Robert Duvall, who's barely in it, but he's great when he shows up. Dennis Hopper, who's barely, I, I didn't even realize it was him until after I saw his uh, credit, and I had to, like, look back and be like, oh, okay. Um, and then some people I'm less familiar with, I'm not going to read all the names, except I do want to read John Fielder, who has a very small part, but he was in 12 Angry Men that we watched, um, I think, last month. Oh. And uh, he's the voice of Piglet um, in most of the Winnie the Pooh stuff. Uh, so very recognizable voice. Um, he shows up at, towards the end of the film, uh, directed by Henry Hathaway, who I'm not familiar with as a filmmaker, um, not in a negative way. I just haven't seen any of his other movies. He's done a lot of Westerns. It looks like, um, yeah, and that's why I haven't seen them. I've not seen a lot of Westerns, especially older Westerns. Uh, this film we are again watching because we both, um, have seen the true grit from the Coen brothers in 2010, which is in my top three Coen films, I think. Um, I think No Country is my favorite Coen's film. And then True Grit is either second or third, depending on my mood. Because I like... I've seen almost all of the Coen's films, but hint, hint, I will have finished their entire filmography before the end of this year, thanks to this podcast. Uh, Just a little clue of an upcoming and future theme, Um, although we're still a couple months out for that one. And uh, I will say more so than I think any movie we've watched this month, I will be making a lot of comparisons to the Coen's True Grit as to why I either like this one or dislike this one comparatively. Um, and uh, But overall, um, my take on this True Grit, it's definitely super watchable. Uh, I think the story alone now, there is a book. Um, I've not read the book. Uh, my colleague, a co-worker of mine, um, big fan of the book, and I, I did notice he has it on his shelf, so I might end up borrowing it and attempting to read something, which does not happen very often uh, with my timetables, but um, I, I'm just such a fan of the story, and I'm curious to see how the book tells it, um, or what, if they go in any deeper, or whose perspective it's from, even. like I imagine it would be from the, uh, the young girl's perspective, um, Maddie, uh, but uh, just in case you don't know the premise, a drunken, hard-nosed U.S. Marshal and Texas Ranger help a stubborn teenager track down her father's murderer in Indian Territory. Um, now, this is the second John Wayne movie we've done this year. We watched The Searchers in our Howdy Partner theme of July. Uh, and I gotta say, I, I don't dislike John Wayne, but I don't... I'm not, like, a big fan of John Wayne. And granted, we've only seen two of his movies, and I do think he does some good stuff, but there is just this, like... <clears throat> star presence about him that i think maybe like takes away from the character like i see john wayne i don't see rooster cogburn in this case not like i did and again you could make that argument with jeff bridges as well in the 2010 but for some reason i kind of see jeff bridges especially this time period jeff bridges as a drunken cowboy as it's a role he keeps going back to (laughs) um and i so it it just felt like that to me it didn't feel like jeff bridges like i didn't see um even the dude uh who is another drunken you know hippie essentially could argue he's not a cowboy but you could argue similar um i don't see that i just see drunken cowboy when i watched true grit 2010 and i think maybe john wayne's presence is just too because again having not seen a lot of his movies i'm very familiar with him as a uh, you know a lot of people do impressions of john wayne 
Um, there's his image has been like associated with the cowboy to me growing up. So while I I've, I'm very unfamiliar with his body of work in terms of me actually seeing it, I'm very familiar with his presence as John Wayne. So it it does detract a little, not not in a big way. Again, I think this movie is very very good. If I had to pick, I'm picking the 2010 one every time, and I will get into more reasons in spoilers, but I feel like it's talking very specific about story choices, and also um, what I, I'm going to uh, what I'm going to use the phrase story economy, um, because this movie is 20 minutes longer than the Coen's version of this story, and it doesn't need to be, and I will get into that again more in spoilers, because I'm going to be talking about a lot of things that aren't in uh, the Coens version that are in this one and why I think the Coens inherently is better because of those choices. So, Corey, what did, what did you think of the 1969 True Grit? Oh, God. I was a little bored, actually. I think that I shouldn't have chosen this movie because we watched <laughs> True Get Grit not too long ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, I'm not going to blame that on the movie, though. I'm going to blame that on me. Um, I kind of agree that, like, my whole life, uh, John Wayne has been, like, you know, my my nanny just loved John Wayne. I've been hearing about him my whole life. He's been mm-hmm. sold to us as, like, this larger-than-life, you know, yeah. and... Hero. Oh. He's, he's, like, an iconic, like, the icon of what a male, like, powerhouse is supposed to be kind of thing. Yeah. So much so. Um, I was, I'm sorry, I don't mean to cut you off, but another movie we watched on this podcast was Brokeback Mountain. And one of the criticisms people were levying at Brokeback Mountain were things like John Wayne would turn in his grave and things like that because he's the iconic cowboy. And Brokeback Mountain is about, about two cowboys who find, you know, a homosexual relationship, which at the time when that film came out was still a hot button, you know, people were still very against homosexuality. It, it was not, people were still like, struggling to come out with their with if they were gay so that statement was like levied for oscar buzz like why they weren't going to vote for brokeback mountain and things like that and it's ridiculous that... but i mean think john wayne turning it like that he was so attached to the genre and to the identity of a cowboy quote unquote that that was the criticism thrown at a modern film um just to kind of give again pr- perspective of where you and I are both coming from when we think of John Wayne. He is this, like, paint him on the wall, you know, symbol of the cowboy, of the American cowboy at that, which I guess that is an American idea, so never mind. I take that back. <laughs> I felt like, though, I feel like it does run deeper than just the cowboy genre, though, because, you know, I he is an American, you know, I don't even know how to say what I want to say, but I... Yeah. Um, I was kind of surprised when the movie first started. I didn't realize that Glenn Campbell is in it. I didn't know that he yeah. acted. I'm more aware of him as a musician. I don't know if I've ever really listened to him, but I don't think I have. I'm I'm familiar with his name. That was the that was the most <laughs> I had. Um, but yeah, I mean it was a good movie. I am with you on my preference though. Um yeah, I mean this movie was oh, I don't know if I'd really watch this movie again. Um, I, I wouldn't go I wouldn't go that far, but if I if I was picking which one to watch, I would definitely pick the Cohen film. Um, mm-hmm. Now I don't remember. Did you like the Cohen's film? I can't even remember. I oh. feel like I enjoyed it, but I I don't know. 
Okay, so it should be noted. I've seen the, the Cohen's True Grit twice. Um, I watched it when I started the Burke Reviews podcast, or sorry, the Burke Reviews website. I watched it that year because I hadn't seen it. Um, and my goal for that first year was to watch a movie a day every single day. But I started watching it on my phone because I, w- I had to take my daughter and her friend to this event at her middle school at the time. But I still had to watch a movie that day. So while they were running around playing, I had headphones in and my it was watching on my phone. So not the initial ideal watching of any movie. That I'm not only watching it on a very small screen comparatively, but I'm also watching it while there's a bunch of stuff going on around me. You know what I mean? Like, no way I'm giving it 100% of my attention. But it kind of demanded it. I was so into it. I, I didn't finish it there. I, I probably watched about an hour, came home and watched the rest on the TV loved it um and then when we watched it for movie club i got to just watch it on my tv and i loved it even more now so i've seen it twice and yet that movie is painted it feels like it is painted so strongly in my mind like i think i know it from beginning to end there's a good chance that i'm maybe missing things or whatever but the two viewings i've had of it were so impactful that i believe i know that movie that well so much so when watching this one I was able to like kind of when I did feel a little bored because I agree again I think there's this movie's 20 minutes too long minimum um I didn't have to like pay full attention because I knew what was going to happen mostly or when they did uh something different than what the Coens did I was very aware of that change yeah um despite again only seeing it twice and you've only seen it once yeah, I it's, it's bothering me that I can't remember what I gave it. I feel like I gave it not quite Golden Pony Boy. I definitely I re- I feel like you liked it. Um, you're like I me. Did. You're also a Cohen person. Like everything you've seen of theirs, I believe you've enjoyed. Although you have I, more gaps than I do by far. Yeah, I can't make it through Fargo. Sorry. What? Yeah, those accents. I've tried. Oh, it's <laughs> so can't. good. God. Oh man. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I'm a, I'm kind of a diehard Cohen fan, and again, I've mostly only seen their films once, um, but I've watched a lot of clips of their films many times because I am such a, a uh, advocate for their stuff. Um, I've seen Oh Brother Where Art Thou too many times because I oh, taught so it. Good. Um, I taught it even when I was an English teacher. I would pair it up with the Odyssey because, as noted at the beginning of the film, it is a retelling of the Odyssey, um, and so I would, ch- I, I used it as an excuse to, to show it to english students and then when i taught film i've taught it at least twice as a film teacher um but yeah it, and it's like one of the only times i love bluegrass music because i love the songs in that movie they're so good and it's so did good. we talk about that when we were talking about soundtracks or like it's one of those yeah it's like inside lewin davis like i don't really listen to folk music but nope. i freaking love that soundtrack i it's, love that soundtrack they do such a great job with soundtracks they, okay they're just great they, they and that's yeah. the cohen not only are they directors they usually write or at least um will do passes on the scripts uh which is huge because again like true grade is not an original film but it's their original take on the film and um and then they've done a few other remakes uh the, the only movie of theirs i don't love and i've only seen it once is lady killers um and i've never seen the original of lady killers but that one I think critically in general is not loved. Uh, so I feel like I, ha- I haven't bothered to revisit. And I ha- there's a few others that I've mentioned we have not seen, or I've not seen, um, Intolerable Cruelty, which is one that I don't think a lot of people love, and I've not seen. And I have not seen... Uh, the biggest one that I have not seen of theirs is Raising Arizona, um, which is a beloved film, and it stars Holly Hunter and um, Nick Cage. And so I'm, I'm very much excited to finally sit and watch that one. 
uh, the premise of that movie is insane. I didn't actually know what the premise was. I, I just thought it was parents raising their kid, and there's a big twist to that uh, setup. Um, but nonetheless, we digress. Um, we're Cohen's fans. We are leaning that way. Odds are you might be mixed. Maybe you grew up with this version of the film and you really like this version, or you'd seen this one before you saw the Coens, and so this one's the superior. Um, or maybe you like uh, a bunch of scenes that really don't need to be in a movie. Um, and we'll get into that next. So, Corey. Guys, from here on out, we're going to talk about True Grit from 1969 in great detail. You've been warned. And I do want to point out again, I think this movie is good. I just think the Coens is is by far better. Um, because I do, like, th I'm guessing you got bored in the first 15 minutes. Um, I, I feel like I was just bored most of the time. I think I had to break this up into two watchings, which isn't uncommon for me, but... no. Um, trying to go back and <laughs> get back into it was kind of hard. Mm. Well, I, because it is, like you said, like I knew a lot of what was coming. Yeah. Even though they did have some big changes in there. It yes. just, I was, why did I do that to myself? So the, where the story economy changes are in that first 20 minutes, because this movie feels like they're very afraid that the audience won't get nuance. And so they have to give us everything. Um, the Coens jump right to her arriving in town to pick up her father's body and looking for the man who killed him, um, whose name is... That's not the name. What's the guy's name? Why is he... Oh, Tom Clancy. Uh, no, Chan... I'm sorry, Tom Chaney. Read wrong. Um, played by Jeff Corey in this film, played by Josh Berlin in the 2010 version. Um, and... She's like so. This movie, we we have to see her working with her father. We have to uh, see the father actually get shot by Cheney. We have to then see her arrive into town. Uh, we have to see her attempt to meet up with Rooster Cogburn, uh, being dissuaded be, or being stopped by a door, being told then that she could see him in tr like in the trial the next day. Then approach like it's all these setup scenes that in the Cohen's film literally just happen. We don't have to see. Like, we don't need to see the character being told she can't go through a door, but you can maybe get him at the trial tomorrow. The Coens just put her in the trial. We don't need to know how she ended up at the trial. It's irrelevant information. There's a lot of ways she could have found out that he was going to be on trial. It's little things like that. The Coens trim literally 18 minutes, I think, exactly off of the script that make the story flow much faster. And we get to what's going on quicker and thus grab your attention a little better. Now... I will say, I think Kim Darby does a very good job, but I think Haley Steinfeld is sensational in the True Grit 2010. How is it possible to both respect a character and also be incredibly annoyed by them at the same time? Yeah. <laughs> because that's where I'm at. The only thing that, I mean, like, I the part where she's with her dad and we find out she's, like, his little accountant and stuff, and she knew that this guy, Tom Cheney, was bad news and blah, blah, blah. Um but yeah to me though the big difference between Darby's performance and Steinfeld I never question Steinfeld's resolve in the role as Maddie like I I believe Maddie was a hundred percent tough and uh exhibited the like that she was what we were seeing where at times I feel like Darby's version of the character is pretending to be tough yeah and it's it's more of a facade or a front that she's putting out there where i i believed wholeheartedly um that 
Steinfeld's was tough. Uh, and that's, again, not necessarily, maybe that, uh, that could be a different interpretation, not a failure, you know what I mean? Like, that maybe the this director felt like she was just trying to be tough and felt like that's what she had to do, where the Coens were like, no, no, she is tough. I mean, look at the time period. 1969 what... versus now, a, a woman is strong now. 1969, there was a firm fictional belief that women were inferior to men and thus could never act like a man they would have to be pretending to be as strong as a man where 2010 we i would like to believe everybody i know it's not true accepts that we are equals and a woman is capable of being anything a man can be thus not a facade that she's putting on but actually being that person that's just a theory totally agree i was gonna say that it's probably the time period yeah because oh my gosh I can't math today. Is that 41 years difference? Um, I believe you are correct. Okay. 80, 90, 20, 2010. Yeah, 41 years difference. Yeah, I just found her to be more annoying in this movie. Agreed. But again, I think to a point, like I don't think it's an act, I don't think it's Darby's like failure in a performance. I think that's what they were going for. Um <clears throat> And Steinfeld annoys, like, like not me, yeah. but she's annoying to the other people in the movie for sure. Um, I I love that character so much, and I am a Haley Steinfeld fan. I love The Edge of Seventeen. Um, I I think she's good in Pitch Perfect too. I think the movie suffers a little as a her character's role in the film. I think makes the movie not as good as the first one, and the third one shouldn't exist. It's awful. Um, and then uh, she's a freaking bumblebee is phenomenal because of her performance um i think she's a tremendous talent and i don't know much about kim darby like she's in other stuff but i don't like she's in halloween six the curse of michael myers um she's in teen wolf 2 which i've seen but god i don't really remember that well and um i've yet to watch better off dead the john cusack film that oddly keeps popping in my periphery lately uh and she's in that so i haven't really seen her in anything else to compare but um, looking through her credits, yeah, maybe she's not up to the same par as Steinfeld as far as like, you know, her abilities. Because she has a lot of movies I've either never heard of. She does a lot of TV though. She pops up on a lot of different TV stuff. Oh, she's on. Wait a minute. She's Doris Garrett on The Facts of Life. Is that like the main one? No, okay, no. She must be a relative to Mrs. Garrett on one of the episodes or something. So, small part, sorry. Um, we deviate. But, uh, you want to, is there anything specifically bad from this film that you want to point out that made, made you not love it? I think you're muted, Corey. Dang it, I keep like sneezing and coughing, so. Oh, okay, sorry. Um, <laughs> sorry. Okay. Um, so, in, I want to talk about some differences and make mm-hmm. sure that I'm on the right page. I tried to read through, like, some of the plot of each, but, um, in this one, he doesn't leave her, right? Who, who is when, he? Um, Cogburn, Rooster. Okay. Does he leave her when he sets out to try to find Ned and he Tom Chaney? Uh, but I don't think he gets as far. I think okay. he, he gets farther off here. I think she's closer to catching up to him uh, in okay. the 2010. 
Okay. And then um, I, I'm kind of torn on which ending I like the most. I think I do like the Cohen's ending better, but with her like looking for him as a, uh, to to say goodbye or to oh. repay him or something. Yeah, when she and then she finds out that he died just three days earlier, mm-hmm. and she has his body moved to her family's plot and we find out she didn't ever get married or have children and i think that that too like just i'm not i'm i'm married but um i feel like that just really developed that her character too like really kind of added to that uh yeah um i I don't want to say like independence but a, a detail that needs to be known about this movie and I think the ending is that there is a sequel to this movie. What? Yes, it's called Rooster Cogburn from 1975. Stars John Wayne. Um, and listen to the premise. Marshall Rooster Cogburn unwillingly teams up with Ula Goodnight to track down the killers of her father. Does that not sound like the premise from this movie? <laughs> but with a different girl. <laughs> now, here's where it gets real interesting. Guess who plays Eula? I'm guessing you've muted again. Catherine, but... <laughs> Catherine Hepburn. I don't think that's a guess. I feel like you looked it up. But yes. I did. Uh, <laughs> freaking Catherine Hepburn, who is way older than a kid would be. So I'm guessing it's not a kid whose fathers were killed, even though still there. So I need to watch this movie because, one, I do like Rooster Cogburn as a character. Two, this is why I believe the Coens changed the ending because they're not looking to make a sequel. Um, that's not been their MO in their entire career where 1969, a studio wants to potentially leave it open. Now I've not read the novel, so it's possible that he does, this is, you know, canon in the novel. Uh, but I don't know. Um, but the Coens, I think having Rooster Cogburn dead at the end and again, not dead immediately, dead years later when she's a grown-up um but with her arm missing because of the snake bite um and again much more realistic i think her because she doesn't have her arm lost she's got it in a sling at the end of this movie uh her arm is gone in the 2010 one and i think that is of of the era when that would have happened amputation seems more likely of a requirement um you know to deal with the, the wound uh from a rattlesnake oh. and the travel. Um, but there's a lot of that is similar, uh, how he, you know, the horse, he rides the horse to death. Although I don't, I don't remember if we knew why the horse, the horse wasn't like in the 2010 one, I think it wouldn't have mattered what horse he was riding because it, they make it feel like it's real, real far. And like, he's riding it like through like the night nonstop full, you know, full push. And, this one it's her horse which was a smaller horse and not capable of carrying both of them and it, they don't go on as as long as what i felt like you see in the 2010 version yeah and wasn't there in the 2010 version wasn't there like snow uh, or am i just misremembering i don't think there was snow it was cold though i think at one of the nights um i don't remember snow I think that might be the searchers that you're thinking. Uh, oh God, you're probably right. Because the searchers carried over for like years, like 15 years yep. or something go by in the searchers. Um, but this uh, this version, I think the biggest changes are with Labouf 
Um, because uh, there's a lot of little things they do. Matt Damon plays LaBeouf, uh, where Glenn Campbell plays him here. Um, he gets a lot more screen time here than I think Damon does. Because, like, Damon shows up at, like, in her room. Like, that scene is in this film as well, where, like, she wakes up and he's, like, watching over her. And he says some creepy thing about, like, I wanted to kiss you, but now I'm not gonna because, you know, you're rude or whatever. And it's like, dude, she's, like, a kid. She's 12. Yeah, like, don't kiss her. Um, I mean, different time, sure, but still. Um, and, uh, but then, like, okay, so there's the scene where they, they happen on the cabin that has the two criminals in it. One of them, in this case, is played by uh, Dennis Hopper. I don't remember who. Oh, oh, Domhnall Gleeson plays him. In True Grit, um, uh, the 2010 one, I believe. And there's that, uh, in this movie, LaBeouf is with them. In the 2010, LaBeouf is not, because they'd already had a fight and they've separated. LaBeouf shows up and screws up their ambush in the 2010 one. And I think that plays way better. I think there's a lot more suspense. You don't know, is Cogburn going to shoot LaBeouf? Like, there's a whole bunch of uh, drama that the Coens play into it. That yeah, I think works I, a lot more. I felt like he, I mean, uh, Rooster makes some m- remarks to him about being a Texas Ranger or mm-hmm. whatever he is in this one. But I feel like the animosity, it was like, I feel like he really had to prove himself in the 2010 Yeah, I version. agree. He, he comes off as a greenhorn in, in the 2010 version where he, he seems much more capable here. There's still tension between the two of them. And it, it escalates at times. The scenes don't... I I feel like the Coens interject a little more humor because of Bridges. Like, I feel like he's more of a drunk. Like, Cogburn's implied to be a drunk here, but he's way more of a drunk in the 2010 one. Mm-hmm. I also... Is it LaBeef or LaBeouf? I think they say both, and I think that's part of the joke. Um, is this his name? Okay. I think it's supposed to be LaBeouf, but uh, Cogburn says LaBeef a lot, especially Bridges. I think Bridges explicitly calls him LaBeouf or LaBeef, like kind of mocking the French element of his name. Oh, heavens. His character, it it's just completely different endings. Like in this one, he dies. Yeah, which I don't believe he dies in the 2010 one. No, I did not confirm isn't, that. Isn't he the one who lets her know that he had just died three days earlier and then she moves his body i don't think so i think because she goes to like a a traveling circus because the implication after uh after the outlaws and cops um become like once law becomes the order of the land in which is a constant theme in a lot of westerns at least the ones that i've been watching um they the sharpshooters of the day end up like doing like circus shows basically because they're their skill set's not needed anymore. And I think that was where, if I remember incorrectly, she arrives at, like, the circus he was traveling with or the, the event or whatever you want to call it, and they inform her that you just missed him, that he died three days ago. He may have wrote her a letter, though, to yeah, it give was her con- something. Uh... Boof. Mm. Beef. Um But I, I, don't, I, I don't feel like Matt Damon dies. He totally dies in this movie. Uh, he gets hit in the head by a rock by Tom Chaney. Um, and it kills him uh, after you know Millie or Maddie has been fallen into the cave, and uh, although he doesn't die right away, he lives long enough to help. And when they pull themselves up out of the the cave, he's now dead. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> well, <laughs> Rooster is giving him a hard time. 
the whole time. Yeah. Right when I need him, he's always late or something. Yeah, he's, I don't know. Just like him to be dead when I. <laughs> yeah, it is a funny joke. Again, there's there's still some humor in this movie. Um, and one scene that's in both films though is Labouf uh, whipping her with the uh, the stick. Switch. Yeah, and um, and then Cogburn like, all right, that's enough. Like you've gone too far. Um, which is an interesting choice that it's in both films. You know, like. Because that scene freaked me out the first time I saw it. I was like, wow, he's he's spanking her. Like, that's... Especially well, it, given that earlier he talked about kissing her, and now he's yeah. like... Yeah! <laughs> Treating her like a child. Like... Yeah. I don't know. That's, Very awkward. That's super creepy. Again, different time period. Not as uncommon for a 12-year-old to be forced into, like, a, a marriage with, like, a trade deal or something, but... Still not something I'm comfortable with, like, growing up in a very different time period than the movie is set in. Um, and uh, there is some, um, you know, you get the the whole confrontation with Chaney is very similar. Uh, she, you know, she goes to the river by herself and runs into him the first time and her wanting to shoot him and then actually shooting him but not killing him and um, him kidnapping her. That all, all that plays out the same. It's really the first 20 minutes... The Coens condense into a couple of scenes that this movie feels it has to drag you through um, in order to get to where the actual story picks up because it doesn't pick up until they go into the Indian Territory looking for Cheney, which is where, you know, the actual, if we're doing like a hero's journey tale, that's her, you know, entering the other world. And that's a key part to the story because she is our heroine and she is excellent um, because she is so brave and she's so steadfast that she will avenge her father um, who she has, you know, the utmost admiration for, which in this 1969 version, we have to have a whole scene for us to get that where I feel like I never questioned it at all in the 2010 version, despite never having the scene where we see her father and her hug and, that she's her his right hand and all of that um i felt i get that without that scene and again i saw the 2010 first and i never questioned it then i'm watching this like why do we need this scene if if you write it the same like it's obvious that she the, the fact that she's willing to risk her life despite everyone telling her not to do it tells us how important it is to her you know it's not just some idle event this is like it means everything to her to get back what her father had and to avenge his death and to have justice, you know, frontier justice at that, but justice. Um, I mean, the movie, we've, we've said everything plot-wise, I think, that needs to be said. I think those are the big changes. Um, I do think this movie's cool. I was really excited when I saw Robert Duvall as Ned Pepper. Yeah, um, it took me a minute mm-hmm. because um, he's like 12. The one thing um, that I also think uh, the guy I mentioned, who's the voice of Piglet, John Fielder, uh, sh- she keeps threatening everyone that she has a good lawyer, and I think <laughs> yeah. that was a joke also in the Coens. But I don't think the lawyer ever shows up in the Coens film. He legit shows up here uh, to give get something from from Cogburn, and uh, he's I Cogburn laughs. That he's like, "Oh, you're real," uh, <laughs> and it's the guy who, uh, who's the voice of Piglet, and again, he's in Twelve Angry Men's is kind of the uh, the well, the what you would expect the voice of Piglet to be kind of nervous and whiny, you know? Um, cause that's what Piglet is. And, uh, he, he, he shows up here a little more confidence than that though. I think as the lawyer Daggett, that was pretty funny. Yeah, I did like that. Um, especially again, cause there are a few scenes like this in this movie where they don't need to be there, 
but this one works even though it doesn't need to be there like i get that the lawyer was real without having to uh actually i kind of like that we don't know if he's real in the cohen's film because it does seem like something an intelligent person would just threaten to scare people you know it's like bluffing like yeah i got a lawyer you don't want to meet him because he'll crush you you know like it, it could work either way especially it's hard to tell with her because she's bluffing a lot of the time um she just knows that people aren't going to take her seriously and she needs leverage to make them listen to her um and the lawyer is a great you know leverager uh, it, it balances the playing field a little bit um i have nothing else to add really uh, i i do like this movie i think the story inherently is great i think the execution is solid in both films i do think the cohen's film is superior especially in terms of story economy i think they do a great job and again those little changes with how they use LeBuff, i think is way better um because here he just feels like a third wheel in that film he's a constant foil he shows up he pushes himself in at times sometimes he's against maddie sometimes he's with maddie um and i i always believed it and i honestly i think matt damon's really great in that supporting role in the 2010 version um and again, I think it's a, a credit to Damon's career that he's willing to take smaller parts, even though he is a a modern day uh, star. It's not there's not we don't have a lot of like you know big Hollywood star actors, and I think Damon is one of the newer ones. But he's willing to take that character role, um, and I think he's great in the 2010 version. And I, I think the Coens' use of that character is stronger overall. Again, I like Labouf here. I don't think Campbell does a bad job. I just think he's forced into the plot more than he needs to be i think it's really cogburn and um maddie are the two centerpieces and i think the cohen's do a better job of highlighting that um but so my opinion true grit 1969 i'm gonna give it the not quite golden pony boy rating Corey, a decent watch so and if you're right and you gave the other one not quite golden we both knocked it down because i definitely gave the 2010 a must see i love that film so much and i love the cohen's so much so very rarely have they not landed for me. Um, there's a couple, as I've said, but uh, mostly I'm a big fan. Their their work clicks with me. I find their their themes and their dark sense of humor to always be engaging. Um, yeah, that's our episode uh, for True Grit from 1969. Uh, we'd love to hear what you thought about True Grit or any of the movies that we've watched on Movie Club Podcast. You can reach out to us on social media. I'm at Burke Reviews. Corey? at Corey R Star Two Arts on the End. And before we wrap up, I do need to talk about next month because this month, the month of August, uh, was Originals. And that was, again, movies where Corey and I had seen a remake of the film but not the original film. For no, uh, for the month of September, we're doing the opposite. We're doing remakes. We've seen the original but never bothered to see the remake. And sadly, while I think with Originals, the possibility of having a better movie than the remake was high although i don't think we really felt that way i think like the thing from another world is cool for what it is but john carpenter's the thing is like one of my masters of horror type movies um and then uh infernal affairs i thought was really good but i still i, I kind of lean towards the departed but i like scorsese's style so it speaks to me there um i like the cohen's true grit more and i'm forgetting oh the vanishing i have not seen the original but or i'm sorry i've only seen the original i've not seen the remake uh, but I feel I felt like you may have liked the 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 remake a little more. Yeah. But uh, from what I heard, Corey, you're wrong. But um, I know I'm the I'm the yeah. only one. But hey, you know sometimes it's that early watch that just clicks for you. Um, but so we're going into next month. We're gonna be watching movies that are remakes. I know for sure one of them 
is going to be better than the the original um, to, for you at least, Corey. But we're watching oh. uh, Dawn of the Dead from two thousand four. Um, I picked this one. I love the Romero zombie films. I am a big Romero, especially you know early stuff. Not so much the Diary of the Dead or the I forget the, the other more recent one. But I love uh, Night of the Living Dead, uh, Dawn of the Dead, and Day of the Dead. Even though Day of the Dead's a little harder, but I still like it. Um, I, I've avoided the Snyder one. I've seen parts of it, but I've never watched all of it. And partly because I've seen parts of it and I just was like, yeah, Romero's is better. Um, I feel like what Romero does in those early zombie films, just it, it's so much better than what modern zombie films tend to do. And so I've avoided this, so I'm finally going to watch it. I, I don't know. And of course, I have a lot of negative feelings towards Zack Snyder at this point um, because I've seen the DC Extended Universe movies. So um that's the first one we're gonna be watching that's the next episode will be dawn of the dead from 2004 but the rest of the month uh we're gonna be watching um i almost screwed up uh it's not why well, can't i think of his name who did the fly my uh cronenberg it's uh the cronenberg's the fly from 1986 now Corey and i watched the 1950s the fly last year or the year before um on a on a episode of movie club so Corey's never seen the 86 the fly i freaking love that movie so i'm so excited to revisit it um i think that one's gonna be one where you like that one more than the original Corey. that's what i'm i'm betting on um okay then after the fly we're gonna be watching the remake of the fog which I'm nervous about that one. i am so sure it's gonna suck uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah because i think i love the first one and i think you did too i do i love it's another carpenter film um i, I love I, john carpenter I, a lot of especially early carpenter big fan of a lot of those movies i love the fog i'm not saying it's like a masterpiece in cinema but i enjoy the experience of watching that movie and again it's carpenter's kind of his lighting his style of horror the the way he sets things up really really liked it when i saw it the 2005 one was a blip on the radar that it even existed so the fact that we're watching it probably not going to be great but luckily for us Corey, you and i sat together a couple of halloweens ago when we watched invasion of the body snatchers from the 50s i think it was 56 and we both really liked it. Mm-hmm. I ended up watching the Invasion of the Body Snatchers from 78 a few years, I think last October-ish. Um, and I liked that one even more. Um, because oh. it, it's, you know, the 50s to 70s, you get a lot of change in style. And 70s movies, a lot of times they're very dark. They have a lot to say about society at the time. Um, and I really think this movie just hits my sensibilities a little more. And it, it was frightful at times um and donald sutherland is such a good actor um so i'm i think you i think both of your movies you might like the remakes more than the originals mainly though because of uh change in tone and style because like the fly um in the 50s is like kind of silly horror you know it's like the idea is scary but even when you see the fly it's kind of like more laughable than anything like it's like oh look it's a big fly mask on a body this version is twisted and has some of the most disgusting scenes because it's again a Cronenberg film known for his body horror. This movie oh. has body horror. And Jeff Goldblum. Jeff, oh yeah, Jeff Goldblum is in both the ones that I picked. Oh, he is much bigger role in uh, The Fly though. He is Fly. the lead there, um, but he is he's prominent in Invasion of the Body Snatchers for sure. Leonard Nimoy also in Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Oh, um, yeah, it's a it's a really good cast. Uh, it's just it's so good it's a the same type of horror um in a lot of ways that you get from that first one just that idea of you don't know who you can trust um but it's done uh, it's just it's so good um 
Yeah, I'm excited about watching your movies a little more than watching mine. Uh, I'm not super thrilled on either of my picks, but again, I've a lot of times I I like to do that if I see an original or if I see a remake, I tend to like seek the other one out um, for a basis of comparison. So I didn't have as many that I was aware of to choose. Um, so yeah, I'm a little nervous uh, that I may not like. Although a lot of people do love um, Snyder's Dawn of the Dead, I I just I'm such a Romero uh, fanboy when it comes to that that I have a hard time uh, thinking that Snyder could do justice. You know what I mean? Like it'd be like mm-hmm. being a Hitchcock fan and be like, well, I can't wait for Gus Van Sant's version of Psycho. Like, no, we don't need it because we have Hitchcock's version and that's a masterpiece. Like I don't need someone else's take on it, and that's kind of how I feel with Dawn of the Dead. It's like I don't need another one. I have a masterpiece from Romero, the guy who, like, crafted the genre. I'm pretty much okay with it. Um, and that is my favorite of that mm-hmm. trilogy. I agree. I think Night of the Living Dead is super important. I think it's more important as into film history. But if I'm going to pick one or the other, I'm picking Dawn of the Dead, for sure. I, I love Night of the Living Dead, but it's slower. Some of the zombie stuff is a little cheesier, I think, at times. Um, not so like the social commentary of the movie, I think is more important in night of living dead, but the actual like surface level stuff in the film, I find Dawn of the dead to be much more, um, watchable and entertaining overall. Both are great. Not criticizing night of living dead. Night of living dead is amazing. But if I'm picking one of those two, I'm going Dawn of the dead as well. Um, that said, that's our next month, uh, lineup. So we recommend that you seek these movies out, listen to the episodes, hit us up on social media that we already dropped our names for. Um, if you like what we're doing on this podcast, we need you to take a few moments of your time, go to whatever service it is that you listen to, and rate us. Give us five stars. Give us four stars. If it's anything less, you know, maybe stop listening. I don't understand why you would listen to a podcast you don't think is five or four stars. Why? What, oh, don't, I'm kidding. I mean, I feel like you have you know things to do with your time that you could be listening to other <laughs> podcasts that you like. No offense, I want you to listen. I'm just saying, why would you listen to something you don't enjoy? And if you enjoy it, then why not rate us so other people can enjoy us too? That is the easiest way to help uh, other listeners find us. Um, and we're, of course, grateful for all of you and thankful that you take uh, any time to listen to what we do. Um, but truth is, we just like watching movies and talking to each other about them. So podcast is fun for us as much as we hope it's fun for you. Um, Corey, thank you. I will uh, be talking with you next week about Zack Snyder's Dawn of the Dead. Um, I hope you feel better. Thanks. And listeners, until next time, keep watching movies. This has been a Burke Reviews podcast. BurkeReviews.com Do you like movies? Do you like podcasts? Or are you just lonely? If the answer is yes, and even if it's not, then check out the What I Watch Tonight show's filmtastic selection of podcasts covering the entire movie-verse as something for everyone. So come check it out. More details at whatiwatchtonight.co.uk or from all good podcast providers.